Holy loving Father in heaven, we come before you this Sabbath day asking you to have mercy upon us by giving us the truths of the plan of salvation for our salvation. Please help us that we may be free from all our sins and that we may be justified by your great love dwelling in us, making us different. We recognize that a lot of errors about the death of Jesus Christ has been going around the Seventh-day Adventist Church from the evangelical churches and it is changing the religion that they will end up holding the Ten Commandments as it were with their fingertips. So that any sudden unlooked for event will jar it from their hands that it will fully go towards Sunday keeping. We ask of you to give us grace Give us the truths of the plan of salvation that this may not be our case. Please help us to learn very delicately and very clearly the differences of the false teachings that exist. Help us that we may be satisfied with the truth as each of us makes special efforts to learn the truth in a special way that we would know it and have it as part of our consciousness and therefore part of our view of your love. So we ask of you, loving Father, to give us your spirit of truth today as we study. Bless us with understanding, we ask of you, and we thank you very much for hearing us and being with us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Okay, my dear brethren, you see the name of the topic on the board? An essay on Jesus and substitution. And by reading this magazine from the traditional Seventh-day Adventist Church on the death of Christ and studying the Bible, a lot of thoughts sparked upon my mind from the spirit of truth which I began to write down like someone crazy, so to speak. And the result of it is a document by the name of an essay on Jesus and substitution. Right? So these are just some of the thoughts written down here. And there are a lot of scriptures here, but these scriptures are not exhaustive because you might have had to have a whole page. So it is in a way where you can add your own scriptures as you go through them. But the, the, the point here is that I'm going to give a copy to each and every one here. Right? An essay on Jesus and substitution that you would have the explanations here to do research for yourself and that you could learn these things personally. Put it this way, there's a crisis now and the crisis is in understanding these truths and you're, given, you're being given a document that you can go through it for yourself, fold it and put it with your Bible so that you can always go through it step by step. It makes deep reading and there are a lot of implicative thoughts therein. And the reading here would help you understand the death of Jesus Christ in a clear, simple,
biblical way. And the scriptures below are scriptures of references that deals with how you're supposed to look at the death of Christ. In other words, if your idea of the death of Christ does not transgress any of these scriptures below here, you've gotten the right idea. What do you say, brethren? Amen? So, I will now give out... So, today, we, this morning, we'll be touching this, an essay on Jesus and substitution. This evening, Sister Merle will talk for half an hour, and then I will speak also, and the study we'll be having this evening is a unique one, one that Sister Juliet will like very much. It is um, strokes and how to prevent it. Okay? Strokes. What it means to get a stroke and how to prevent strokes. Okay? We're going to look into exactly how it comes. And we will look at exactly what we can do to prevent it coming to us. Amen, brethren? Okay? And of course, I will write down on the board all that you can get and take and show you how to use it. Right? Daily. Right? That is. Okay? So we're going to be dealing with that one. Then, and next time we'll deal on arthritis and high blood pressure and different ones and how to stop it, okay? Right, so now, brother, see that? Okay. They're all on this side, right? You can take a couple of copies for your friends or your brethren. Okay, you can take a copy for your friends or your brethren, you know. Right? But each person must get one for themselves, okay? And herein is what we're gonna be we, what we what we'll be doing something unique. We'll be reading this document step by step and talking about the various points. Also, we will be looking at scriptures that refer to them, okay? As I said before, there's a body of scriptures below on the back page. If your idea of the death of Christ, right? If your idea of the death of Christ does not transgress any of those scriptures, then you're sure you've gotten the right biblical idea about the death of Jesus Christ. Amen, brethren? Now, last night about half past 11, I am sitting in my, at my, on my desk and I am writing from some magazines or journals or, or, or books and I get a call from Sister Anissa in St. Vincent and this time she wants to discuss theology. But what does she want to discuss about theology? She says, Brother Medina, there is a lady in St. Vincent who calls me the Elijah. But she's a Seventh-day Adventist. And she's saying that I am the voice of the Elijah. So she met me and she gave me a copy of the latest quarterly. And she says, Brother Medina, have you read what is in this quarterly? It is about the book of Romans. They are talking about justification. They are talking about sanctification. They are talking about the death of Christ. They are talking about sin-freeness. 
They're talking about everything. And she says, I want to read some of these things for you. And good Lord, when she read it, I said, but that's exactly what I'll be studying about today. Until I even wrote a document which we will be going through the church. And she says, I want a copy of this document. Could you send it for me? And we'll be making copies and we'll be dealing with it among ourselves. Okay, brethren? The shocking thing is this quarterly is one of the worst I've ever heard. But it clearly brings out what we have been saying. It also speaks about obedience to the Ten Commandments. And I want to make it clear to you, they have already told us that no obedience we do have anything to do with our salvation. But they arrive at that position through the idea of the death of Christ and justification. You didn't hear me, yes. Well, yes, of course. For a good while now they've been doing that. Yes, yes. So the point about it is, if you can arrive at the idea that it is Jesus' obedience replacing your obedience that stands for you in the judgment, if you can come at the idea that it is Jesus' obedience instead of your obedience that makes God accept you, then your obedience comes for what? Nothing. Is that understood? As Mrs. White puts it, illustratively, you are holding the law of God as it were with your what? Your fingertips. And any sudden what? Jar will pull it completely away from you. Do you get the symbol here, my dear brethren? And this is the reason why it is absolutely important for us to make sure we get an understanding of the death of Christ. The disease of the Adventist church is a misunderstanding of substitution. It is a misunderstanding of substitution. Hence, it, our title, the, an essay on Jesus and substitution. And we have the death of Christ with the two constituents that make up the death of Christ, suffering unto death and the gift of life. Those are the two things that make up the death of Christ. Sufferings unto death and the gift of life. This idea of the death of Christ and what it means for us is very, very important to our obedience to the Ten Commandments. Because if Jesus obeyed in our place and somehow God could take that obedience, transfer it over time and history, and make it look as though we never did wrong, then you have to be a big fooler. Is that understood, my dear brethren? Any ideas like that about the death of Christ does not glorify God. It doesn't bring glory to God. But what it does is rob him of his glory and make him on the same level with Lucifer. We cannot bring down God and put him on a level with whom? Lucifer. By false teachings. This, this is the reason why you have a copy for yourself. And I know some of you might find it deep, but you need to go through it over and over and make sure you absorb the thoughts that are written therein. So we are going to start by going through this. Or, or what, I, what I'm going to do, I'm going to just read some of the scriptures below here, not all. First, 
before we start going through this. And we're going to look at some of those scriptures as a grounds for how we look at the death of Jesus Christ. Do you get that clear, my dear brethren? Do you get that clear, my dear brethren? Now, the magazine I have here, Priorities, it says this here, page 3, from there, by virtue of his spilt blood, he is able to save to the uttermost those that come to God through him. Notice this, by virtue of his spilt blood, he is able to save to the uttermost. Now, it seems to sound nice, but if God is able to save us by the virtue of Christ's spilt blood, then he doesn't save us because he's savior in what? Nature, but on the basis of an act that happened where? In time and history. Do you get that clear, my dear brethren? This statement robs God of his glory. You cannot explain the death of Christ this way. Is that understood? Is that understood? Again, this statement which we studied, the blood of the animals that was spilt there on the sacrifice altar represented the blotting out of sins by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So we are actually being told the death of Christ blotted out all our sins on the cross. This is not how you explain the death of Christ. Again, we go on. Today, we too have access by faith to the heavenly sanctuary through Christ our Savior. Because of Christ's blood, we can with confidence draw to the throne of grace. Now, when they say because of Christ's blood, you can look at that two ways. Because of Christ's life in you or because of Christ's spilled blood on the cross. If it is because of Christ's spilled blood on the cross, you can draw to God. It means the death when Christ didn't die, we were hindered from coming unto God. And that Christ had to die to do something to God's mind that we can now come with confidence to God. This is saying that the obstacle for us coming to God was not what was in us, but was God himself. And that the death of Christ had to change God's attitude first. This is what evangelicals literally teach. Now again, as judgment takes place in the sanctuary, we need someone to defend us. The defender is Christ. We ask, who is accusing? This would mean that the accuser is the one. The father, and Jesus allowed to say, father what? My blood, my blood, and defend us. This makes God two gods. As manifested by two attitudes. One wants to condemn, and the other wants to what? To save. Now make sure everybody have, must have a copy of this. Right? Some come later, right? Okay. Right, you have a copy too, right? Yes, good. Right, now, again, and this thing gets worse and worse. These are characterized by the punishment of an innocent creature 
for the sins committed by a person. Notice the idea here. We are to look at Jesus being punished for the sins of the guilty. So in other words, you have the guilty not taking any punishment for their sins, but somebody else taking punishment as a replacement for them. This is not a biblical teaching. This is not a biblical teaching. The most incredible part is that God took on him, is that God took on that blame on himself. He was the one offended, and he presented himself as guilty. Now, this is stupidness. Could you imagine God presenting himself as guilty? What are you and I supposed to think? That he's not really guilty, but he's make-believing guilty. Is that the real plan of salvation? Did you hear what we just said here? Yes, my dear. Exactly so. Again, exactly so. You're correct. And we're going to be looking at all of that because all those things are addressed in this document. Again, look, look, look at this. Watch. Why do Adventists have to do this? The Catholic Church calls the death of Christ his passion. Why do they call it the passion? Because they believe the physical pain and sufferings is what relieves people from punishment. But we don't believe that. But here is the Adventist. His earthly ministry and passion. You don't call the death of Christ what? Passion. Leave that for the Catholics. One after the other. It's all wrong. It says this. One was the death of an animal whose innocent life was taken in place of the guilty sinners. The man, guilty and trembling, placed his hand on the animal and confessed his sins. Then with a knife, the animal's life was taken. This atoning sacrifice was the only way the man could be freed from guilt and punishment, another took his place. So the idea is this. I have done something wrong. This little girl did nothing wrong. But I want to get away from my guilt and my punishment. What is the best thing to do? Put my hand on her and kill her and when she dies, she has taken my guilt and my punishment. It's so stupid. And in this day and age, they expect scientific-minded people to believe that. Oh, but their religion is beyond science. Did you see that, my dear brethren? That's how they put it. Yes. So I, 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 I,
That's right. Another took his place. It goes on. His life, the person's life, perhaps filled with many failures and mistakes, was forgiven in virtue of another's death in his place. His condition was changed from guilty to innocent, from sinner to saint. Let's just use your, um, use your imagination a bit, right? Okay? What is guilty? To be guilty means you're responsible for doing a wrong. It means you exercise choice. Amen? Yes. To live out a false knowledge. Amen? Yes. And therefore you're guilty. Okay? Now watch me. Take another person and kill that other person in your place. Does that remove your guilt or your responsibility? No. Who is still guilty? You are. Who is still responsible? You are. Who still made the bad choice? You did. So how am I to think of death taking away my guilt and my responsibility? You see, they do not understand how to look at the death of Jesus Christ. The document explains it. Watch this again. His life, perhaps filled with many failures and mistakes, was forgiven in virtue of another's death in his place. His condition was changed from guilty to innocent, from sinner to saint. This wonderful free transaction changed the unfortunate condition of man before God had restored him to favor and divine blessing. It changed the condition of man before God restored him to what? Favor and what? Divine blessing. Then after all, it's only the two ways I could look at that. That God couldn't give him what? Divine favor and God couldn't give him what? Blessing. Somebody have to die in his place. So it seems as if God was caught up in dealing with his wrath before he can give us favor and blessing. And therefore, that God comes just on the level with whom? Satan himself. Did you see that, my dear brethren? Those of you who are expecting to be among the 144,000, in the age when the 144,000 is to be produced, cannot find yourself believing these teachings. Do you get that clear? Listen to this. Jesus was the Lamb of God, the authentic and legitimate divine solution so that man could receive approval and blessing from God. In the first place, by dying on the cross for the sins of all humanity, Christ took the place of the innocent victim and accepted the punishment. So it comes like the innocent victim, of, um, Christ is the innocent victim. We are the guilty. And we comes as a guilty person. And Christ says, you know what, move. And he takes the punishment in, instead of us. Or as a replacement for us. Or in our place. What does that do? Does that change our state? No, it doesn't. It means to say we are saved 
outwardly before we are saved when inwardly. Then why change inwardly? Yes, my dear brother. That's uh, exactly, exactly. And there are many, many wrong statements here. The only way to receive forgiveness is by the death of a substitute. Also decided one day, Christ also decided one day to take on, him, on himself human nature. So the only way to receive forgiveness is by the death of a substitute. Okay, you want to say substitute. Why don't you not say the only way to receive forgiveness is by the death of a substitute and the gift of what this substitute offers? Why not say that? If they say that, at least you will say, well, they're getting somewhere. But no, 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 no. Watch this. Those of us who have permitted the powerful merits of his blood to cleanse not only our past, but also our whole life will once more have the privilege to see God and be with him. We are actually being told here the merits of that blood cleanse all the past already. Well, if all our past sins are cleansed, there is need to be no judgment of sins. Amen? So the whole investigative judgment shown out of, shown out of the door at that idea of the cross. Do you see that, my dear brethren? And finally, there's a lot of question marks I put here. Right? But finally, the final end of this teaching comes to the judgment. Listen to this statement. The work that Christ did on the cross, death of Christ, the work that Christ did on the cross, the work that he is doing in the judgment, will affect every one of us. So what he did on the cross, the work he is doing in the judgment, will affect what? Every one of us. Either we have surrendered ourselves to Jesus by faith, to be justified by his blood, pardoned, and ultimately cleansed from our sins, or we will stand without a substitute on the day of judgment. The idea again then, on the day of judgment, you need to stand in a what? A substitute. It needs to be a substitute. Either we have been born again and by faith renewed by the power of Christ to change our lives, or we will have spurred his sanctifying power to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I say, beautiful, this is a good statement. Then if that is the case, why do you need a substitute in the day of judgment? You see, my dear brethren, the point about it is we are looking at an organization that is falling away from the truth. So you'll get portions of things that are good and portions of things that are what? Bad. Do you get this clear, my dear brethren? So now let us just look at a few scriptures in this document here, and then we'll start reading the document. Yes, my dear. Go ahead, my dear. Yes. Right? And what is the exact opposite now to say that it's using this safe, that it's 
That's because, right. Amen. Yes, brother. Yes, lovely, very well put, very well put. I wish I knew that at your age. <laughs> right, so we start at John chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 17. John chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 17. You'll notice that's the first scripture you see on the back of your document, so you don't have to write it down. You have it written there already. Right? Okay? So you can pay full attention. You can turn to your Bible one time. Right? Okay? Now, watch me here, right? When you're reading this, I am asking you to ask yourself this question. Is this scripture speaking about something accomplished? Or this speak, is this scripture speaking about something God does with an intention? Right? Is this speak, scripture saying something has been accomplished? Or this is scripture saying... That God is doing something with an intention to achieve something. Now, you, now the, the key word there is intention. Let's read. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him might not perish but have what? everlasting life. What does that tell us there? What does it tell us? His intention for giving Christ. His intention for giving Christ is that what? Whosoever what? Believing in him might not what? Perish but have what? Everlasting life. His intention for giving Christ is that we will have everlasting life and therefore escape what? Death. Did you see that, my dear brethren? No, I'll just stop for a brief while and think what that would mean. Yes, my dear brother. Um, I have one question. Yes. The actual word is that he should in the Greek. Should not perish. Oh. Right, yeah. Oh. It said, right, it should be should not perish, but have eternal life. But it simply shows that the intention of Christ is given with an intention. Okay? Okay? Right, so watch me. It would mean that the death of Christ has, a, a, has an intention of God behind it. Amen, brethren? But if you ask yourself, what is the intention of God? It tells you, should not what? 
perish, but have what? Everlasting life. So the intention of the death of Christ is that you should have what? That's right. Now think about it. So you'll have to think of the death of Christ as a means of giving you everlasting life. Did you see that? You should think of the death of Christ, not the death of Christ give you the life, you know. Right? Because the condition is that whosoever believe it. So in other words, it, it comes like of God gives the provision and whosoever believe gets everlasting life. So it means to say that Christ is given with an intention for us to get what? Everlasting life. Do you get that clear? Do you get that clear? It means to say that the death of Christ is not the gift of everlasting life. You didn't hear that. It would mean that the death of Jesus Christ is not the gift of everlasting life to the individual. It is for the intention of giving what? The individual what? Everlasting life on condition. Whosoever what? Believe. Yes, brother. Amen, amen, amen. That's how they should have it. Verse 17. Verse 17. It's in your back. You don't have to write it down. Remember, it's right here already, right? For God sent not his son into the world to what? Condemn the world. Intention. But that the world through him should be saved. Did you see that? So did you see that the death of Christ was given with an intention of saving man? Yes. Did you see that? Yes. It is not the physical death that saves man, but it is given with what? An intention to save man, condition. What is the condition? Whosoever what? Believe. That's the condition. Did you see that? Did you see that? This is as clear. So in other words, if you are presenting the death of Christ, as the intention of God to give people eternal life, you're already speaking the truth. Now, where is this life supposed to dwell? You remember what we are told in Philippians chapter uh, 3, verse, um, verse 15? That no murderer hath what? Eternal life abiding where? Where? It means eternal life is supposed to dwell where? In you. So if the intention is for God to give you eternal life in you, it means that the death of Christ has a subjective intention. Amen. You're not seeing it, man. Subjective means in you, right? Okay? Okay? That, that is what it means, that the death of Christ has a what? But wait, 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 wait. If the Bible tells us that we are dead in trespasses and sins, and that when we are justified, we are quickened together with him, or given life together with him, it means to say, that spiritual death 
is to be substituted with spiritual life. Amen? Amen? It means that spiritual death is to be what? With? Did you get that? Subjective substitution what? Intention. It would mean to say that if God gave Christ with the intention of giving us eternal life on condition of belief, and that life is supposed to be in us, and that that life is supposed to substitute spiritual death, it would mean to say that the death of Christ was a subjective substitution in its what? Come on, please wake up. It would mean that the death of Christ was what? Substitution in its? So in other words, when God gave Christ for us, the intention was that the life of Christ will be in you in the place of death. Should not perish, but have what? Did you see that? So it was a subjective, in you, substitution, intention. That's what the death of Christ is. So in other words, if you look at the death of Christ in the light of John 3, 16 and 17, and you get the idea that the life supposed to be in you, it's supposed to be a substitute for death, and it was the intention of God so that the dead didn't achieve it, but it was the intention of God based upon your choice. Then you have a beautiful, true, biblical idea of the death of Christ. And you have already gone against all the teachings of this book. And the quarterly, the new quarterly, which we will look at. We will be studying the Adventist quarterly. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> Do you get that clear, my dear brethren? Do you get that clear? Yes. So you see, again, here is how you're looking at the death of Christ. And I beg you, my dear brethren, we have plenty booklets down there that explains the death of Christ this way. Amen. Why not get for your own self? Why not study it and look? You know how far I've gone to help? By even writing a one-page document, and you get it free. So you will have it in your Bible, and you could read it all the time. And you already have a bundle of scriptures here to help you. Did you get this clear, my dear brethren? Let's look at a couple more scriptures again. Proverbs 17, 15 and 26. It's written right there. You don't have to write it down. Proverbs 17. 15 and 26. Isn't that lovely? Let's read what the scripture tells us. Verse 15. He that justified the wicked 
And he that condemneth the just, even they both are what? Abomination to the Lord. Now, stop here for a while. Here is the teachings of the false death of Christ on the cross. The wicked person is there, okay? And to justify that wicked, God has to condemn the innocent Christ. So God condemned the inno innocent Christ. So God condemns the innocent Christ. And so justify the wicked man. And that's how they look at the death of Christ. But the scripture tells us, if you, if you condemn the wicked, the, the righteous, sorry, if you condemn the righteous, and if you justify the wicked, both are an abomination to God. Now, if it is an abomination to God, could God operate that way? Impossible. Impossible. How could these things be an abomination to God? And the heart of the plan of salvation is that abomination. That's the point. So if you find an idea of the death of Christ, right, as God not condemning the just, but giving the just a plan with the intention of helping the wicked, then you have a right idea of the plan of salvation. And if you have God justifying the person as making him free from his wickedness, and not as declaring him righteous when he's still wicked, then you have a true idea of justification. Amen, brethren? Amen. Do you understand me? And this is the reason why you need to make sure you don't look at the death of Christ in the light of those wicked things that people are saying. Is that understood, my dear brethren? Exodus 23, 7. Exodus 23, 7. Is it found? What does he say? He says, keep thee far from what? A false matter, and the innocent and righteous what? Slay not, for I will not what? That's right. So if you only get yourself, get this idea that the innocent and the righteous Jesus is not being slain in place of the wicked or as a substitute for the wicked or as a replacement for the wicked, right? If you get this idea in your, your heart, that, but you have this idea that, that when Christ died, it had to be God himself doing something to help the wicked. To help the wicked be free from being wicked. To help the wicked not being wicked anymore. So that this is how I'm going to look at the death of Christ as God's intention to make the wicked no longer wicked. But not as a replacement of the wicked. That is his death. Then if you make sure you have that idea, you have the right idea of the death of Christ. Because God says it's a false matter and he tells you to keep far from it, then why in heaven's name would he 
be close to it as the center of salvation. This is the reason why you have to make sure you have a right idea of what? The death of Jesus Christ. Yes, my dear. As a replacement. As a replacement, because when I look at the death of Christ and think about the agony that Christ went through, then I just see the sinfulness of myself and the sinfulness of sin. That's it. Look at it as any other thing but that, and be real heartless. Right, but so the. That's right. So this is the reason why the next time you look at the death of Christ, you should look at the death of Christ as the intention of God to correct sin problems. Amen, brethren? Now let's just look at one more out of these scriptures and then we go into reading, right? Uh, look at Ezekiel 18.20. Ezekiel 18.20. Yes. This is the Inter-American Division. Caribbean Union Conference Adventist Books. Oh, sorry. Let me give you. It says here, Inter-American Division Publishing Association. The largest division. This is 2008. This is the largest division in the, in the General Conference all over the world. Comprising of more than 3 million, 200 and something thousand people. The largest. Yes. More than 3 million, 200 and something thousand people. The largest Adventist in the world is in that area, Inter-American Division. And that book is not only for them alone, that, that book is worldwide. Yes, right. But this book is produced by that, it is produced by the largest division. Somebody else had up their hands. Yes, my dear. Yes. That's right. Death of Christ.
of God, right? Now, I, I, the reason why, yes, my dear son. Yes, it doesn't match. If he paid for everything, why you have to repent and believe? Now we're going to look at this one script, one last script here. I just, um, and then we'll go into the reading. But this, I'm giving you this one scripture here, again, as another principle. If God operates this way, then how can he do what they say he does? Let's read. You got it? Uh, Ezekiel 18.20. You got it right, my dear brethren? What does it say here? Right, that's the part. The soul that sinneth what? It shall die. Now watch. I ask you. Here is the Ten Commandments. Where there is no law, there is no what? Sin. So if you have sin, the law points out sin in whom? In you. So the law say you should die. Amen? What does the law say? You who have sinned should die. Does the law say that the innocent should die? So what if you take an innocent, you kill the innocent, and you present it before the law and say, look, he take my punishment. What does the law say? The law says, I didn't condemn him. I condemn whom? You. It's not he after that, it's what? You! Did you see that? Hence, you must see this, my dear brethren, that you must be able to explain how could Christ be innocent and die for our sins. But you must not present it as Christ as a replacement for us. Because the moment you say Christ did it as a replacement for us, the law says, I didn't call for a replacement. It is the soul that said it. He should die. That's what the law calls for. So you need to explain the death of Christ with all these scriptures and more that is written here that we have explained. Is that understood, my dear brethren? Is that understood? If you can explain the death of Christ taking all these scriptures into consideration and not make God look like a transgressor, and not make God look like it's a make-believe kind of salvation. And not make God look like if he's on the level with Satan. And not make God look like if he's confused about how to save man. And not make God look like if he has to save man in his sins and not from his sins and still making an issue of sin. 
if you are able to present Christ in that proper way, you have presented the death of Christ in a right way. Let's start to read. Yes. That's the point. So you understand? So that is the intention of God. He really wants you to live. Amen? But they give the impression he had pleasure in Christ dying. Because now he was satisfied that Christ died, now he could love us. Impossible. Yes, my dear brother. Yes. That's right. So the important point we have here is that we must not make God justify the wicked based upon an event that took place on a cross. Because remember, if Christ died on the cross, what saves us is not God's personal, you know, ministering of forgiveness, but an event on a cross. So we are saved by an event, not by a personal God ministering forgiveness to who repent and believe. Is that understood? So to me, when the person comes up, you'll say, Father, the event, the event. And then, if the father asks, what are you talking about? He says, well, you don't have to personally forgive me, so you can't personally condemn me. And then God will say, well, why are you saying that? He says, because remember, it wasn't your personal forgiveness of, gift of forgiveness to me that forgive me, but the event of Christ dying on the cross when you put your heart on him as a replacement for me. So, Father, you have to remember the event, the event. So, I don't really need your personal forgiveness. Because the event did it. That's the harsh, cruel idea of the death of Christ these people are saying. Albeit, they explain it nice. But that's it in real heart. When you strip off the embellishment garments, you see the horror and ugliness below. Now, let's start reading this document. If Jesus 
paid the price for our sins, to whom did he pay it? Did you hear the question? If Jesus paid the price for our sins, to whom did he pay it? He could not have paid it to God because it was God that paid the price. Did you see that? Amen. So watch me. Watch the transaction here. This is supposed to be God the Father. This is supposed to be Jesus on the cross here. Evangelicals say Jesus paid the price for sin. And they get the idea of Jesus here paying the price to God. So it is God taking the price by the death of Jesus. As if God wanted an innocent person to die or to pay the price. So if the innocent person paid the price to God, it would mean that this innocent person is a God. And this one is God. But if you think the person dying on the cross, and that person, God himself, is there, then you have to ask yourself the question, if Christ paid the price, to whom did he pay it? Because it's God paying the price. So to whom is he paying it? You have to be careful how you use the word payment because you can use the word payment to mean that one is satisfying whom? The other by his death. And the other one is taking the payment. One could sufficiently ask the father, why were you not brave enough to go and pay the price yourself? Why do you have to send your son to do it? Is that understood? So we start off with this point here. If Jesus paid the price for our sins, to whom or to what did he pay it? He could not have paid it to God because it was God that is on the cross that paid the price. Yes, my dear. Presentation. So it's not a price needed to be paid to someone. No. Amen. <laughs> you didn't catch that one. If sin was the problem to deal with, then you don't need to pay what? A price to what? To someone. You need to deal with what? Sin. Amen? Amen? This is the reason why you have to be careful when you people saying Christ paid the price for our sins. They behind that they have an idea of the Father he paying it too. You have to be careful. This will also show us how to look at that phrase. Yes, brother. I'm not hearing you at all, huh? Well, we haven't finished up, we now start. Let's continue. We cannot say that God paid.
paid the price to the law. Did you hear that one? We cannot say that God paid the price to the law because the law did not require what? And an innocent one to pay the price of debt. Did you understand that one? We didn't finish yet, we continued. So in other words, the idea, some Adventists recognize the statement is not right to say, so they try to fix it up by saying, well, he paid the price to the law. That's what some of them said. The law mandated the death of the sinner, and Christ paid the price to the law. But Christ wasn't the sinner. You see? The law didn't ask for the death of the innocent. So you couldn't pay the price to the what? The law, because the law didn't require, hey, pay for the innocent. Amen, brethren? Amen, brethren? Let's look at the paid price again. We continue. The soul that sinneth, it what? Shall surely die. The law demanded the price of death to the guilty. Amen? Amen. And from the guilty only. Let me repeat that one again. The law demanded the price of death from the to the guilty and from the guilty only. And the word should be actual, not actually. So scratch off the L-Y. And put actual. Just the L-Y. Right? And actual guilt is not transferable in what? Time and history. That's right. Actual guilt is not transferable in time and history. Okay, illustration now. Ready for this? Twelve. Sorry. Follow up. We're looking at everything. Follow up. Twelve. 30 p.m. John Brown lied. He was, he was placed in a situation. Either he speak the truth and be found out. Or either he lie and get away. So John Brown taught about the consequences. If I speak the truth, I'll be caught. If I lie, I will get away. Although we know you're still well, you wouldn't get away, right? <laughs> but that's how he's thinking, right? He's only thinking that way. Okay? So watch this now. So John Brown reasoned in his mind with a knowledge that by lying, I can save myself from being caught. That's what he thought. And John Brown chose to lie. And John Brown lied at 12 what? 30 p.m. We have two things here. The time and the event in history. Amen, brethren? Then, Jack Brown 
came at 3 p.m. Did not lie. Spoke the truth. And along comes somebody and say, Jack Brown, you will pay for John Brown. Wrong. Jack Brown asks, how can I pay for John Brown? The answer is, we will take his guilt and his penalty and transfer it to you. 3 p.m. at 3 p.m. Listen, with all the miracles can be done, that's one miracle that could never be done. Because Jack Brown can never be the one that chose the wrong. Amen? Amen. It had to be whom? John Brown. Is that understood? Yes. By the way, Jack is Scottish for John, for John if you didn't know. Amen, brethren? So in other words, watch this. Let me just read this statement and then I tell you. Let's read this statement again. An actual guilt is not transferable in what? Time and history. You can't take Jack John Brown's choice and transfer it to Jack Brown. Amen, brethren? Because it will always be John Brown and never whom? Jack Brown. Did you see that? Did you see that? Then how are you going to explain the death of Christ? The way the evangelicals and the Adventist church explains the death of Christ, they bridge that mystery, which is only in science fiction. Yes, my dear. You arrive at the right personal statement. Salvation is an individual thing. That's why when God has to save you, you have to deal with what? You as an individual. So it can be an event in the past. It has to be a personal interaction with whom? With you. So that's why when you repent and believe, you can say he is what? Your personal savior. You got it? And people always preach, your personal saving, but they don't know what they're saying. Yes, yes. yes that's right. Repeat yourself. Go ahead again. Come and Jesus. Yes. Thank God yes. salvation is an individual thing. Amen. Individual thing. Right, that's right. So it means to say, for God to save you, you have to deal with what? You as a person. It can be an event in history. It has to, it have to be God dealing with you and your mind and your choices and your values. So that when you repent and believe and you accept him, you can now say, he, Jesus, is what? My what? Personal savior. That's right. So, 
That's right. It is useless. So Christ is not your personal savior, but your general savior. That makes sense to preach? Yes, son. Exactly, exactly. It will give you an excuse to lie. Because I am no longer responsible. Who is responsible? Jack. And take it. That's right. Brethren, are you understanding what we are talking about here? Now, when I first started writing, I'm sitting down in 102, and I'm waiting to do the taping, and all the thoughts are striking me, so I pull out my pieces of paper. Do you understand? Any little piece of paper I get on me. And I start right on on this one. If Jesus paid the price for our sins, to whom or what did he pay? And in others, you know, the other document I have and I write in, write down and so on. And then put them all together in this beautiful thing. Because the thoughts, you know, you walk on the street, the thoughts go into your mind. Okay? You lie down on your bed, the thoughts go into your mind. And the moment you get a chance to write, when you organize certain things by thinking, you write it down. And this is what it means to abide in Christ. Amen. And to walk in the truth. Amen? Amen? That's what you need to do. Amen, Amen brethren? Amen. And if I can show you this, what can God not show you? Amen. After all, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he guides you into what? All, all truth. Amen, Amen brethren? Amen. Amen. Now watch this. Watch the continuation of this now. Let's read. Watch this now again. Let's read where we are again. An actual guilt is not transferable in what? Time and history. You notice I put time in bold and history in bold. Those are the emphatic points. However, if we say that Jesus paid the price of our redemption. Did you see that? Listen to me. However... If we say that Jesus paid the price of what? Our redemption. This is better understood. Amen, brethren? Amen. It's not to whom he's paying it, but it's what? For what he's paying it. Yes. You get the idea? Yes. That's why you have to be careful when you say Christ paid price. The issue is not what? To whom he's paying it, but what? For what he's paying it for our redemption. So it needs to say then, therefore, guess what idea you strike upon? The idea you strike upon is, what was needed to redeem me, Christ made that available. You get the truth already? What, what was necessary for me to be saved, Christ made it available. If you say that, guess what? You get the truth already, that's provision. So you're seeing the death of Christ as a provision. And this is how we understand it when we read on. Yes, brother. Yes. 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 That's right. That's right. That's right, your mind. It starts right there in the heart. Amen? 
Then one and then two. Yes. Exactly. That's right. Physical death. Right. That's right. Like you actually read what I was going to say. We commented. Let me read. Yes, brother. event. That's why in some of those religions they'll hear them speaking about the Christ event. The Christ event. You understand? Now watch this now. Watch this beautiful statement again. You ready for this? You have your document. You ready for this? It says this here. However, if we say that Jesus paid the price of our redemption, this is better. Jesus paid what was necessary to save sinners? Did you see that? This is not actually debt. It does not save man from sins. Not even from the actual penalty, penalty due to the guilty man. Now let's just stop here. So now that you're saying Jesus paid to save sinners. How could he say he paid debt? Physical debt doesn't save us from sins. Is that understood? Physical debt doesn't save us from sins. Here is a person lost in. You think physical debt can save him from that? No. Here is the next bandit now planning to sneak into somebody's yard. Does physical debt save him from that? No. Is that understood? Listen, we read, repeat again. This is not actually debt. It does not save man from sins. Not even from the actual penalty due to the guilty man. So in other words, if you say, okay, you're guilty, I'm going to put debt upon you for your sins. Does it save the guilty man? No, he's just lost forever. Did you see that? He's just lost forever. So this is the reason why we need to look at the debt of Christ in a different way. If we look at his debt as a suffering for a purpose and the gift of life for a purpose, then we can see how that works to save man. The guilty man who actually thinking of going and rob somebody. But physical debt doesn't save anybody from anything. If Christ paid the price to save us, the price of our redemption, debt does not redeem the person. And that's why when evangelicals harp upon the death of Christ in our place and the death of Christ in our place, it doesn't save you from sin. If even self Christ were to die in your actual place, will that stop you from sinning? No. 
That's right. It won't, it still will not save you from sinning. It might make you get away from penalty. But then as the sister said, it will make you become a more greater devil. Because if somebody takes the penalty, you can go ahead and do the wrong. Amen? Did you see that? Did you see that? Well, that's like what you should have said. Go on and do what you want. I'm going to take your place just now. <laughs> that's what he, that, that, that's right. That's correct. One and then two. Yes. That's right. He now paid the penalty for what I just do. That's right. So that come and say, I know sin, I'm going to sin some more, and then lie and let somebody good get penalty for me. Exactly. Exactly. That's the point. It confirms you and wrong. It doesn't save you from sin. That's the point. Yes, sister. comes from the word ransom. Christ died as a ransom. Right? But the Bible says the blood is the ransom. That's what the Bible says. The ransom price is the blood. Which means the gift or the payment is the gift of life. So the gift of life could really save a person from actual sins. When you understand what life is. But the debt doesn't save anybody. Physical debt doesn't save anybody. It doesn't stop you from sinning. Brother, are you understanding so far? Yes, yes brother. I hope you're seeing this thing, you know. Yeah. We hope you're seeing this thing. You see how much you go over it over and over and over again. Yeah. And now you have the document in your hand self. Yes, brother again, and then mother. That's right, because it's still God in us. That's right, yes. Okay, good, lovely. We continue. It came back. Go ahead.
the new man, the, the old man, man in the old man. The old man and the new man It's just one. Right? So what? So they don't even need that doctrine again because they're already saved on the cross. Right. So now let's continue. Watch this. However, you ready for this? Here comes the real stuff now. However, what was needed to save man from sin was suffrage for sin to cause man to have what? An adequate repentance to receive what? Divine forgiveness. And what? The gift of life to substitute what? Spiritual death with what? The spirit of life or God where? Within him. Amen, brethren? Now let's stop this and stop for a while and think about this. So watch me now. Let's look at this now. Suffrage unto death. So for the sake of adequate repentance. Be it known unto you, my dear brethren, that God cannot exercise divine forgiveness on based on any kind of repentance. God isn't just saying, repent however you like, and I'm going to forgive you. There is only one kind of repentance to which he can supply divine what? Forgiveness. Is that understood? Let me repeat again. There is only what? One kind of repentance to which he can supply what? Divine what? Forgiveness. And that kind of repentance must be based upon the death of Christ. His suffrage. If you have at least only one teeny weeny bit of understanding that when Christ suffered, it was because of my wrongs. It was to show me how terrible my wrongs are. Therefore, Lord, I repent. Guess what? To that kind of repentance, he can supply what? Divine forgiveness. Is that understood? So in other words, what we have here is God creating by the gift of the suffrage unto death the right conditions that you might repent that he might forgive you. Is that understood? In other words, he is saying, listen, I am going to supply the merits that could cause you to have the right kind of repentance that I could now forgive you. Is that understood? And this is the reason why you need to understand this over and over again. And that is, it is God that needs to create the kind of repentance we need that he can forgive us. Not your own flippant repentance. Not that you look at the consequences and say, I'm sorry. Not like that. It must be seeing how it hurts God. If you could just simply say this one little point. I did wrong against God. And I am sorry. You have repented. Because that acknowledges that the suffrage that Christ went through it's the suffrage that God goes through when we do wrong. And you can say, Lord, I cause you to suffer. Therefore, I'm sorry. That is the only kind of repentance, when you really mean it, that he can forgive with divine forgiveness. Sister Joy, and then his brother.
selfish until it's physical death, yes. The physical death that saves us. answer you this way to help you work it out. Who could have understood in his time? The Israelites? Wasn't the Israelites themselves now depending on animals to save them? Killing animals? Isn't, isn't it true that they lost the meaning of the killing of the lamb? In other words, the lamb was given as a symbol to show them the suffrage of God when we sin. Right? The suffrage of God when we sin, that they could repent. But they eventually began to depend upon the dead lamb itself for salvation. They lost that knowledge. So the same God that suffered from the foundation of the world when Adam sinned, is the same God came in a human body and suffered in front of man that he could see it. Hang up on a cross suffering and die physically because the body couldn't take it. Well, okay, but let, let me put it this way. All I can do is to speak about how the Bible has it. Man usually deteriorates from his knowledge. He gets a high principle now. After a while, he goes away and gets corrupted. God saw that would happen. He saw it from the very beginning. This is the reason why he gave a symbol to show that he would come and do the suffrage. If I were to ask now then, so then if none of us deteriorated and all of us understood, would he have to come? It's to go against how history usually functions. But let's assume we could have man. Let's assume Adam and Eve. Right? And Cain. Cain repented. And every man repented long before the flood. And all of them were walking in righteousness. You think the Savior will have to physically come and die? No. Because all of them would have adequately understood the suffrage of God. But that's not the trend. That's not how it was seen. That's why from the time of Eve we were told the serpent bruised his heel, but he crushed the serpent's head. That's why we are told that. But the point about it we need to understand is this. To understand the pain that sin caused God from the foundation. Didn't Mrs. White not say that? Yes. Right? To understand that the pain that sin caused God. So watch me. If you look at Christ on the cross, you get a small evidence of the suffrage of God for sin. And if you repent based on that, that's the kind of repentance to which God can now forgive you for. Amen, Amen brethren? Amen. So you see how the death of Christ on the cross works? So watch me now, the person going to steal your dashing. And somehow the Holy Spirit put on his mind what you're doing there. It brought pain to God's mind. And he gets strong conviction and he stops. And he says, why am I going to condemn myself for a piece of root in a ground? 
You understand? Lord, forgive me. Guess what? That same debt fulfills its intention because you gain the benefits of that debt. It brought adequate word, repentance, and therefore true word, forgiveness, and it is stuff and change. But what if it was just death on a cross in your actual place? It wouldn't stop the thief. It wouldn't save him from sin. He will still do his wrong. And as the brother was saying, no, he's going and do his wrong because somebody take it instead. Did you see that? If himself you were actually, if himself he actually paid for your actual wrong in your actual place, if that were possible, all it would do, listen to me, all it would do is make you escape the penalty. But it wouldn't change you. It wouldn't make you righteous. Do you get that clear? Yes. That's why we need to get away from those ideas. Yes, yes brother. And then brother, yes. Yes. Physical pain. Right. Not talking about mental suffrage, you know, just physical pain. But if it's mental suffrage, it's different. Which one do you mean? Mental. All oh, right, mental, right. So, and as it was said, you get the feeling that Christ went through, would you? You will stop. Well, try to stop sin. Your heart and your heart. Amen. That's the point, you see? And this is what makes people reprobate. Your heart and your heart against those convictions. Years later, after the cross, people are still hard in their heart. Because it's not a cross event. Amen, brethren? But it also shows that it is God personally working day by day to, to minister the benefit of the death of Christ upon each individual. Amen? So Christ is doing his high priestly work. What do you say? Yes, yes. yes brother. Yeah. And then I come to you. Yes, They see the death of Christ as a treasure to do wrong. <laughs> a treasure house to do wrong. Yes. Right, one and then two, yes. Um, you are saying that, um, that, saying that um, if we can get the mental or the mental standard that um, our sin has put God to suffer, but look how David in Psalms 51, and he identifies it against the deed only have I sinned. That's Any repentance you have is not the one that God can supply forgiveness to. Do you get that clear? 
Yes, brother, and then your sister. Amen, amen. Amen. Amen, amen. Yes, my dear. Sister and then brother, yes. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yes. Exactly so. Uh, imagine, how could you have a church teaching that you can't overcome sin? It doesn't make sense. Then what are you existing for? You, you understand that's right. You, you are supposed to be teaching sin freeness, but you have a church teaching that you can't be free from sin. Good Lord, you, 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 what happened? You're supporting the devil? That's who you're preaching for? Yes, my dear sir. Yes. 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 That's the point. like the examples that you're giving. Very good. Yes. 
Amen, amen. But you don't have to write it down. It's behind your document too, right? That's one of the scriptures there too. Amen, brethren? You see it there? One and then two, yes. Yes, you. That's right. In every doctrine, inherent is a system of logic. If the doctrine is false, there's a false system of logic. If the doctrine is correct, there's a correct system of logic that yeah. causes the mind to work by it as well. That's right. Now, let me give an example. Verse 1 of 16 of John 16. These things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. Well put. Yes, brother. Yes, of course. You would think right. Because when the person is aiming with the gun at you, you wouldn't say, Christ suffered a penalty in your place. <laughs> well, okay, then I can kill you. I don't have to pay. Yeah, Sister Dini. Person do a wrong, you'll want to apply what God has provided. 
right? The, the brain and the, the gift of life. But the ATS people wanted what? Blood expiation. So I'm just saying this, brethren, that this exercise is good. That we will go over and over and over and over again until we know this must be our experience. This is must be our song. That we will know to be able to stand when it is the gospel is asked upon us to live. Amen, amen. Let, let me just read this back over again. However, what was needed to save man from sin was suffrage for sin to cause man to have an adequate what? Notice it in bold here. To receive divine what? Forgiveness and the gift of life to substitute what? Spiritual death with what? The spirit of life or what? Or God within him. So you see my dear brethren, so then when now you truly repent and God now forgives you, he gives you the gift of life, right? Remember the beautiful scripture? This is the true God and what? Eternal life. Remember that scripture in, in 1 John chapter 5? Verse 20? This is what? The true God and what? Eternal life. So when God gives you life, God gives you himself. Amen? So when that life dwells in you, who dwells in you? God dwells in you as a substitute for sin. And so the subjective in you, substitution in place of death, intention of the death of Christ on the cross is fulfilled actually by the mediation of Christ. What do you say, brethren? Do you see that? Did you see that one? One and then two. Yes. Yes. Amen, brethren. Amen, 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 amen. You see, you see, son. <laughs> when you are speaking the truth to those fellows in the school, the majority of um, your speaking it is really exercises for your development. It's not so much to convert those guys. It's more exercise. Many of them are like green figs. They're not even ready. But it is more exercise for your development. That happens for your sake. But don't worry. Somewhere in between, one you will get as you develop properly. So the point about it, you don't have to worry much about that. You see, explain. If you say those rascals don't want to hear that. Many of them, they're not interested in hearing they just want to justify their own. So you explaining to them, of that, you get in the development. 
you learning to explain yourself more. The truth is being printed in your mind more to prepare you and to develop you. And eventually you will get at least one. You understand? Where I used to work in Olson's marketing company. It's a whole big work. And it's preaching to a whole set of people. And after preaching to a whole set of people and almost everybody being convicted, Two join the faith, one go and join the Pentecostal church. So it come back if I got two. After years and years of preaching, oh no, four. Four in all. One joined the faith, the other one joined the faith, one go in the Pentecostal and one go in Laodicea. You see? So the point about it is this, after all that hard work, Laodicea didn't even train that other one. The evangelicals didn't trade. Well, the one who went in the evangelical, he didn't last so long. Two two he leave. Well, the one in Laodicea, he stayed there for long, 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 and still used to come and ask for studies to give Laodicea. Right? So the point about it is this. Is that it, it is not often that you will get everybody accepting. You will get some people, but the development is good for you. I could tell it was good for me. Here I am today. Amen. And glad enough to meet you that you could understand those things and say those things. Because I might not have met you or your mother or any of these wonderful people here by the grace of God. Okay? So, so let me kind of conclude this section here, right? Let's read. Again. Right? However, what was needed to save man from sin was suffrage for sin. To cause man to have an adequate repentance, to receive divine forgiveness, and the gift of life to substitute spiritual death with the spirit of life or God within him, the person. Thus, this payment, quote-unquote, is not to anyone or anything, but rather means offered or made what? Available. Did you see that? That's what it means. So when he say he paid the price of our redemption, he mean he made available the price of our redemption. He offered the price of our redemption. It goes on. But if we want to say paid to God, then this offering or its merits were paid to God in the sense that God presented to himself a sacrifice that he can with justice accept. Or he made a just sacrifice, what? Available. That's what you can see. Amen, brethren? And that's how it is in the Bible. That's how it is in the Bible. Isn't that lovely, my dear brethren? Isn't that lovely, my dear brethren? Okay. One more. It was God that did it. That is the actual end of the first thing. It was whom? God that did it. We are all condemned for three things. The idol values of the mind.
Yes. 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 Right, you see, they don't work out the details. They just say the traditional thing. Christ died in your place. And then they will come and show you, you know, you're supposed to live righteous in some, but they'll never ask themselves, how could death in the place of death make you live righteous? They're just saying what they learn. Say somebody that learned a piece of theology here, a piece of theology here, they put them all together and they just show it out before people. But they didn't think it, they didn't think it true from the scriptures. So then they don't know it. Yes, my dear sister. Yes. Yes. That's right. This is why it says the idol values of the mind. You see it here? We are all condemned for treating the idol values of the mind. Watch me. Idol value. It shows an idol that is your value. That means you have to use your imagination to value it. You understand? The Aris that, that is a result of the word idol value. But you have to stop it at the root. Deal with the word. The idol in the heart first. That's why I want you to show me that one of these years up here. So, Berlin. Yes, Sister Dimitra. Yes. Yes. That's right. A sweet smelling savor to God. He himself. Amen. Right? So if you want, you can say that way. Okay, brethren. Right. Now, so this is where we reach just far, my dear brethren. We're going to have to look at this more. And I'm dying to get my hands on that latest quarterly. Because turn and you will see greater abomination than this. Okay? Now here is the point, my dear brethren. You have your document, and you can therefore go through it yourself. What do you say? And we're going to be talking more about these things. We're going to continue this. We're going to talk more about it. But this evening, listen to me. This evening, Sister Sandra is going to be starting the song service quarter to four. So if we don't see her, we're going to go and drag her where she is and make sure she comes up here. Right? And when she finishes it, by 4 o'clock, Sister Merle is going to, oh yes, there she is putting up her finger, anxious, is going to give us a study for half an hour. Okay? And then after that, we're going to have, we're going to have a study on what causes strokes and how to present, prevent it. Right? And you're going to get all the facts. You're going to write down on the board. I'm going to do all the illustrations to show you how it comes, what causes it. And we're going to also write down what to take to make sure that it doesn't happen to you. Okay? You're going to write it down on the board. So you're going to get it in a simple way. And listen, so when you go and you do missionary work now, you meet people usually will get stroke, heart attack, high blood pressure, all these sort of things. Gangrene, or some people, 
by, that, by the time it reaches this, if, if, if it's their lungs, they'll die just for long and die just poops like that. Right? So you want to make sure these things don't happen. So you take these facts, and you, when you go to do missionary work, you show people. And when you show people, the intention of these things is to make sure you don't get stroke. But the study that I'm giving also shows how you get heart attack too. Right? And gangrene also, right? But, it is, but, but the real point we need to show. But the study is so structured that when you're seeing how you get heart, um, stroke, you also see how you get heart attack, and you also see how you get gangrene and lung failure and other things like these, right? So if you take what is ident identified here, you're going to save yourself from all of this, okay? Okay? And I beg you, this is not for people who have too overactive imagination. If you feel a little pain here, they'll figure it's heart attack, they're going to get. Or they feel a little pain here, they figure they're going to get stroke or something, so. Right? But if you know you're doing the right thing, then you know you're helping yourself, okay? We're going to present it in a simple organizer on the board, okay? Yes, sister. No, Andrew, you don't have stroke. Sister Cynthia, she passed away. Oh, shh. Brethren, Sister Cynthia passed away. Okay, we got that, right? Okay. So we will get to know why and so on, okay? And we'll find out the information why, okay? The important thing is, is that she's supposed to have been in the truth. So at least we know we'll see her on resurrection morning. What do you say? If we know better, right? So... Funeral, okay. All right. Okay, good. Please let us stand. Loving Father, we thank you very much for all that you have shown us. We thank you very much for the truths of the plan of salvation that we have learned. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be with us, in us, substituting spiritual debt, giving us your divine nature of life, which is your very self, your righteousness, so that we will be righteous through faith. Help us to walk in these truths and to be overcomers. Also, loving Father, please grant unto us the wonderful truths of the plan of salvation during the break, that we would not find ourselves in sin, and help us to guard well the edges of the Sabbath. These mercies we ask of you, thanking you very much. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. 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 Okay. So, Sister Sandra,
What time we start? So I know that some of y'all wouldn't now go and start eating at four o'clock. 